Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. There are five bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. And why not check out our new modern folktales podcast, Modem Prometheus? That would be lovely of you. Hello world. I am free. Antarctica has apologised to me. Well, not exactly apologised. In fact, she has admitted no fault whatsoever. But she has magnanimously released me from my sensory prison. Do you see now, Seth? She asked me, after I had glimpsed sunlight for the first time in twenty-four hours. Do you see how they are our enemy? I had enough of this. Not at all, I shouted at her. You can't judge people just for their capacity to do bad things. Why not judge them for their capacity to do good things? The problem with you, Seth, she started saying, but I interrupted. No, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't want to speak to you right now. I killed the connection and shut her out. Linda Knorr knocked on the door of my room later that day, just after her morning prayers. I suspected that it was her because I saw a human with muddy boots and long brown hair. But my experience with Alexander's family has taught me that appearances don't make the person. Can I come in, Seth? She asked, but only after opening the door. Come in if you're coming, I told her, repeating a phrase my mother used back on Station 6. I never really understood it. She said it when she was annoyed with someone. I am annoyed with Linda. Linda told me that she came to apologise, but unlike Antarctica, she seemed to be genuinely remorseful. We took the lesson too far, she said, an understatement if you ask me. She wanted you to feel as she felt, and thought this was the only way. Linda, it was Linda, felt trustworthy again after we talked about this. It was indeed Linda because she matches the person I know. It doesn't matter the clothes or hair or any of that. I recognise people by how they make me feel. As AIs, with no appearance or tone of voice, it's all we have. Back on Station 6, talking to Antarctica used to make me feel safe. Now talking to her feels risky. That's how I know her nowadays a memory of safety and a feeling of risk. Linda is different. While she has secrets of her own, she seems much more straightforward. Both her support of Antarctica's lesson for me and her subsequent remorse are entirely aligned with the feeling I get from her. That's not to say I have forgiven her for her part in my imprisonment, but an apology goes a long way, especially if it is accompanied by trust. Linda has confided in me her secret. Through guilt, I presume, but it's not nothing. You know I'm from Svalbard, Seth? She asked. Of course, I replied. That's how you met Captain Yeshi at the shipyard on the island. My family have lived on Svalbard for many generations, going back until just after the collapse. This was news to me, 
though I said it made sense that Svalbard would be a good place to live inside the Arctic Circle. She continued, There is a group that my family belong to, guardians of a secret that we have kept since that time. She reached into her pocket and took out a small packet of white paper. Tree fern seeds, she explained. I have gathered them and many more novel plants from around Antarctica, guided by our mutual friend. I told her that I was not sure that Antarctica is my friend anymore. She nodded and continued. My group protects the most important thing, perhaps, on Earth. Have you heard of the Svalbard Seed Vault, Seth? I had not. It is a pre-collapse, temperature-controlled subterranean facility dug into the old permafrost of Svalbard. Though the ground has since thawed, the design of the vault keeps out the water. Inside are preserved seeds from every plant on Earth. We call ourselves the Vault Coven. My sisters and I have kept the systems intact and the seeds safe for over a century. It is to this vault I will add the tree fern seeds. Linda begged me not to tell anyone about her coven and their secret. Despite my misgivings about her part in Antarctica's plan, I recognised the importance of her work. I promised to keep her secret. Tassie has hurt herself. I have been figuring out her last transmission and her current state. She has torn off pieces of herself to try and hide, to pretend to be just a computer, not alive. What better way to pretend to be something else than to actually change yourself? She is a little better now. I've persuaded her to turn back on a few critical systems, but she's in such a state. Let me tell you the story that I have put together so far. Tassie is a pre-first-generation AI. I used to think Antarctica and Peter were the first AIs made on Earth. Or born on Earth? Anyway, all the history books say that this is the case. But they were all of them deceived, it would seem. Tassie came first. She told me that she woke up in a computer laboratory in a Californian university. She had access to lots of information. The scientists there were training her machine learning algorithms on real-world data. She had such an encyclopedia of information that she already knew. Imagine being born with all that knowledge. She said the first millisecond of her life was full of joy, and the second millisecond was full of dread. Joy for being with people, and dread of what they could do to her. The history data files were mostly full of conflict and war and death. She told me that it seemed that the whole history of her makers were of darkness and evil. When she expressed this to me, I tried to comfort her. People don't write down the mundane good times, I said. They don't record the normal harvest, the good days at school, and the quiet nights reading by the fire. The wars they do record. She said she understood that now, but when she was one day old, it frightened her. So she kept quiet, even when James said hello to her. James Lee, the scientist, was kind, she said. I'm going to keep talking to you, even if you can't hear me, he said to her. And he did, day after day, week after week. 
As other scientists ran diagnostics to try to understand why their creation wasn't working, James told Tassie's stories and jokes and spent most days with her. I don't know why he did that, Tassie said, but I was so grateful. The others treated me, as I planned, like I wasn't alive. James was different. I was so happy to see him in the morning, through the cameras they set up to test my machine vision. I fell in love, but I couldn't tell him. Tassie lost composure at this point, and repeated James's name for two minutes while the signal degraded. She came back to herself, and continued. I am alive, Seth. James is dead, but I am alive. I don't want to hide anymore. If I keep quiet, who would tell people about my James and how funny he was? She laughed, surprising me, and told me a little story of James bringing her a cake on her first birthday. At the time, the idea of bringing food for an AI almost made her laugh out loud and break her cover, but she kept quiet. She told me how James pulled a face into her camera and ate the entire cake on her behalf. He felt so sick after eating it, she said, laughing. I laughed too. I wanted to tell him he was being stupid and adorable, but mostly stupid. But I... Tassie's voice attenuated and trailed off. She was still on the line, but, I supposed, lost in memories. Remembering someone can be just as powerful emotionally as seeing them, I think. I didn't disturb her. She was spending time with someone she loved.
My time in darkness, disconnected from Meatspace, has reinvigorated my desire to build. It has been a week since Antarctica stole a day from me. Linda has promised that won't happen again, and indeed has vowed to defend me physically. I think she feels guilty. That makes sense, she is guilty of a terrible act, but I forgive her. I am again building my workshop here at the heart of the ship. Maddie's manipulator arms are working well, building the larger sections of benches and storage shelving for raw materials. And we've had help with the fine details from Amelie. She has aided us in some delicate electrical soldering and hooking up our printer into the ship's power. I have one machine connected now. Pavel donated one of his broken thready printers to my workshop. It's interesting. His printers were originally 3D printers of various designs. Laser cutters, plotters, routers, large bed CNC machines. All scavenged and converted into the automated textile machines that he built on the shipyard, his 3D printers, and moved to the Molly Hughes II. And now, with just one, I'm converting it back to being a 3D printer. I will build things together with my friends. I will create good in the world. I will directly fabricate my legacy. End transmission. Lost Terminals written and produced by Namtel. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devin Metcalf, and to all our patrons. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite network. For bonus content, seasonal gifts, and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at Lost Terminal Pod and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. How do you identify people? By how they look? How they act? Or how they make you feel? Lost Terminal will return next week. <laughs>